welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning session of Sunday the 22nd of February 2009, entitled Practical Lessons from Boat Rocking. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. You ever got so consumed with yourself, you said, Lord, please use me to reach that person for Christ. I want to lead them to Calvary. It wouldn't matter in a million years if anybody knew your name. If they, listen, if they meet you and forget you, they ain't lost much. And me either. But if they've met Jesus Christ and forget Him, they've lost it all. It ain't about us. It's about Him. So God is trying to show people through their storms that they're testing their at their obedience. Number two, He's trying to show them their weaknesses. Moses, in verse chapter number 4, verse 1, look at it. Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. Now God's told him to go before Pharaoh. Go before and say, let my people go and listen, and tell the people that they're going to be delivered. And Moses says, look, wait a minute, Lord. Isn't it amazing that people know more than God does? Moses is right here and he's going to try to counsel God and tell him, God, I think I know a little bit more about this than you do. I think I know me better than you. And he says, they won't believe me. They'll not hearken unto my voice. For they'll say, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. You know what he's saying? God, I can't do this. Hello? I'm speaking to somebody in here. And you know what you said? God's called you in a specific ministry. And you know what? He's trying to test your obedience. And he's trying to show you your weakness. He tried Moses. Listen, Moses was a man who was the greatest leader in all the world. But yet he had... He had inadequacies. He had some deficiencies in his life. Somebody said he might have had a speech impediment. As a matter of fact, if you look on down in chapter number 4, look at verse number 10. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither here to fall. Now, I want you to notice how eloquent he says this. Now, he says I can't speak well, but look what he says. Dear Lord, I am not eloquent, neither here to fall, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow time. I think... I think he said that quite well myself. But yet he's saying, I can't speak well. You know what he's saying to the Lord? I know more than you do. You know what? That's a dangerous treading ground. To tell the Lord you know more than he does about you. God wouldn't call you and not give you the strength to do what he called you to do. Is that not the truth? When God called you to do something, he'll give you the grace and the strength and the boldness to do it. Well, one of you... Why don't you turn some of these heaters down, maybe on the first, first setting? Man, it's hot in here. Is it hot? It's hot to me. Huh? It's burning up in here. But God takes us through the storms to, number one, show us our weak. Number one, to, to, to test our obedience. And number two, to show us our weakness. I heard a story, young people, about a, a man one time that went into a church to apply for a job that said that we were hiring a janitor, hiring somebody to clean the church. He went in to apply, Dino, and the pastor said, all I need you to do is fill out this written application. He said, sir, I I can't read or write. I just need a job. And he said, well, you know what? You're not qualified if you can't read or write. And he said, I'm sorry, but we we can't use you. He went outside, George, and he started to have this little pity party, you know, and saying, well, woe is me, and I can't do this because I can't read or write. And he sat under a tree and said, what am I going to do? And Matt, he's sitting there, and he's, he's got about five or six apple trees before him. He picks one of the apples up off the ground. He says, huh. He says, you know, people like apples. He said, I think I'm going to start an apple business. 
And so he goes out and buys some apple seeds. He plants some apple trees. They grow up. About five years later, apples start budding out on those trees. He picks the apples, starts selling them. Before you know it, he's got five apple orchards in the area. This man's a multimillionaire. Somebody came to him one day and said, you know what? We want to know the secret of your success. He said, well, I can't read. I can't write. And they said, time out. You can't read. You can't write. But you're, you're a multimillionaire. He said, well, of course. He said, God, God's provided. They said, well, where do you think you'd be if you could read or write? He said, I'd probably be the janitor down at that church. You know what God's doing through our storms, young people? He's testing our obedience. And He's showing us our weakness. He's showing us that we've got to totally depend upon Him. That's my third point. If you're going to get through the storm and understand some of these boat rocking experiences and have some practical lessons given to you, and you're going to pass the test and not have to keep giving the lessons over and over and over again, number one, God's trying to test your obedience to what He called you to do. He's trying to show you your weakness. But number three, He's trying to make you totally depend upon Him. Totally depend upon Him. I want to say this first and then you repeat it after me. I can't, but God can. Say it. I can't, but God can. Turn to Jonah chapter number 3. Jonah chapter number 3 very quickly. I remember one time I preached a message in my first church. My son and my daughter were only about six. My son was three and a half, four years of age. And uh, I got done preaching and Man, it was one of them messages, brother, where you went, wow, God, boy, I'm telling you what, them people must have been impressed. That was quite a message, you know. Son, I got over there and all the people shaking my hands, pan off, and we had people weeping that morning. We had people coming and flooding the altar, and God moved in. And you know what, Dino? I got over to the house, and I went, boy, I bet my wife's going to think that was a good one. The first thing she told me is take out the trash. I went, did she not just hear that message I preached? Man, alive, God used that message. Next thing, I got inside after taking the trash out. She said, uh, Seth's messed his room up. He's got spaghetti all over the walls from last night's dinner. Could you clean that up for me and help me out? I said, sure will. I started to get a little angry. I was like, she ain't even told me one time that was a good message. <laughs> Not one time. Man, I got in there and I said, honey, can I ask you a question after we got, eating lunch, got done eating lunch? I said, honey, you haven't said one word to me. Try to encourage me about my message. She said, you know what, Brian? She said, somebody's got to keep you humble. She said, I listened to what all those people said over there, and they gave you enough praise the last two weeks. She said, now, your job is to be humble. And I went, I just got my sermon preached to me. You know what God's trying to do through the storms, young people? He's trying to test your obedience. Are you going to obey it when he asks you to do something? I had a young man in, in Bible college with me, Steve. You know what he did? He felt like he was, he, was, he was called to go to the Samoan Islands. Y'all know where the Samoan Islands is. They're just due south of Hawaii in the South Pacific. The Samoan Islands are a remote place. They do not have any hospitals. This man got a burden to go to the Samoan Islands in a missions conference. He felt like that's where God would want him to go. For three years, he went to Bible college. He worked. He saved up money. He was a single young man. He worked enough to buy him a truck to where he could drive across the United States of America, by the way, about 3,200 miles. If you were to drive 24 hours a day, it'd take you four days to drive across our country. I'd tell you how big it is. I mean, I know it's big. There's a sign that we have right outside the city I live in, which is on the East Coast, 
And it says Barstow, California, 2,544 miles. Now, that's quite a road sign, isn't it? He got on the highway, drove across our country, stopping from little church to little church, trying to raise deputation and money to get to the field. He raised enough money. Three months he went from church to church, stayed in places, drove across our country, got to California. Guess what he did? He sold that truck, used the money that he had, put it in his bank, bought a one-way ticket to the Samoan Islands. That was 10 years ago, young people, and he's been there ever since. He's not coming back. You want to talk about obedience to the, to the Word of God and when He speaks to you. How, listen, how hard is it to obey when God says do something? Well, it all depends on you, not Him. What He does through the storms is He's testing your obedience to what He called you to do. Number two, He's showing, in your weak, he's showing, in, he's showing you your weakness. Number three, He's trying to make you totally depend upon Him. Look at Jonah chapter number three. Jonah chapter number three. I hope I gave you enough time to find the book, all right? Sometimes people can't find a book in the Minor Prophets, and I have to give them a little bit more time. Jonah chapter number 3, let me lead up to this story. Jonah is called by God, but guess what happens? What's Jonah do? God tells him to go to Nineveh, but what's he do? He's supposed to go west, but yet he goes, I mean, he's supposed to go east, but yet he goes west. He finds a ship down in Java going to Tarshish in Spain, on the east coast of Spain, and he said, I'm going to flee from going and doing what God called me to do. I may be speaking to somebody in here this morning. And you know what? You're trying to flee from what God called you to do. And I promise you, every time you try to do that, you're going to do nothing but go down, down, down. That's what happened to Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and preach to, God, uh, preach to those people, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He finally gets right with God because they have to throw him overboard. The storm happened... To and and that and that story too. Storm happens on the sea. They said they, they cast lots, almost like picking straws, and they looked at it and they said the lot fall the, the, the lot fell to Jonah. They threw Jonah overboard. Guess what? The sea became calm. But it didn't end Jonah's life. God had a great fish prepared to come up and swallow Jonah, and he spent three days and three nights in Well Seminary. He went to the school of big fish. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, and God got a hold of him in the belly of a whale. After he got right with God, God prepared that fish to come up shore. He spit Jonah out. Jonah hit the ground running, running toward Nineveh. Son, he got to Nineveh. You should have saw what he looked like. Now, it don't tell you this in Scripture, but I'm telling you this is probably what he looked like. He probably looked like a dried-up raisin, white raisin. When you spend that long, how many of you have ever been in the bathtub and fell asleep and when you woke up, you look at your hands and your feet? They look like raisins, don't they? Can you imagine being in the gastric juices of a stomach of a whale for three days and three nights? You probably would not like that. Jonah is running toward Nineveh now after being in the belly of that whale three days and three nights. He probably shriveled up. The gastric juices of that whale had probably made his skin pale in color. And now he's running toward Nineveh, going to be a preacher. Aren't you glad I don't? Well, I might not look that good, but I know I don't look like I've been in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. But he goes to Nineveh and he preaches. And guess what he thinks God's going to do? He thinks when he gets to Nineveh and preaches to these people that God's going to zap them because they don't deserve salvation. He's going to zap the whole city because that's what they deserve. They were pagan, they were abject heathens, and they hated God. But guess what happened? When Jonah went and preached to Nineveh, do you know the whole city had revival? The whole city got right with God. And guess what? 
You would have thought that the prophet of God, after he had preached to people... Listen, if everybody in Birmingham got saved this week and had revival, I'm telling you right now, I'd take a lap on general principle. I'd just be running and saying hallelujah on purpose. But you know what? The whole city got right with God. And you, th- you would have thought, Tyler, that Jonah would have been happy. But look at chapter number 3 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He got mad. Have you ever asked yourself why Jonah got mad? You know what God's doing, young people, in your life? He's trying to make you totally depend upon Him. You know what? Jonah was dependent on his own strength. And he said, you know what, God? I think I know more than you do. You know what? I promise you, young people... When you have to totally depend upon God and you ask Him to do something in your life that you can't do for yourself, I promise you this, God will interfere every single time with three things. You ought to write these down. He did it in my life. I would not be here meeting you precious people if it wasn't for God interfering in my life. I thank God for the interference of God. God interfered in my life. He interfered with my conception of things. He interfered with my comfort. And He interfered with my control. My conceptions... My comfort and my control, the same thing he interfered in Jonah's life with. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Young people, my conception was I was going to preach on the road in the United States with a fifth wheel, 40-foot travel trailer, pull it from church to church and preach the gospel in all churches in America. But guess what? God's had different ideas in in mind for me than that. God brought me to England. My first trip, you know what? We saved up almost $6,000. I worked my hand to, uh, to, to, to the bone trying to make that money so we could buy the tickets. They were very expensive because the first trip I took was in the summer. And they don't get any cheaper. They always get more expensive in the summer. The tickets were expensive. Of course, the dollar value over here, it, it, it ain't worth, your pound's probably worth more than our dollar is. And you know what? When we change uh, $1, we get 50 pence. It's half. Okay? So, I think that's right. It don't matter. I know it ain't. when I turn my money in, it always gets cut in half. That's what I'm saying. It ain't as many pounds as it is dollars, all right? So, God had to interfere with my conceptions of how things were going to go in my life. He interfered with my comfort. You know what? We had to spend a night. I remember uh, our, our ride didn't show up in Scotland one night when we were up there. We had to spend a night in the airport at, Ga- at Glasgow Prestwick International Airport. Let me tell you what happened that night. We got there. The guy didn't show up at 1130. Got a phone call. We called him. Said, where you at? He said, I'm at Glasgow International, not Glasgow Presswick. They're an hour and ten minutes away from each other. We had to spend a night in the Scotland airport. I don't know a soul in Scotland. Not one. And while we're in there, it's about 1230. And I see them, this, this maintenance crew come in and put this big plastic sheeting up. And they're working on this one area of the airport that we're very close to. And they had this big fan with this big tube that was blowing stuff out of that room. And I went in there and I went, sir, can I ask you what you're blowing out of there? He said, oh, it ain't much. It's just asbestos. I said, what? Asbestos? Man, I had to drag a couch all the way down. I drag a couch all the way down the other side of the concourse where my family sleeping in the airport that night. You know what? God was saying through all of that, Brian, I'm trying to interfere with your comfort. How bad do you want to serve me? But you know what? He'll interfere with your control of things. Ultimately, you know what? You, you're not in control of your life. Jonah could not control whether a whale came up and, and swallowed him. God prepared that. 
He had a plant that grew up over his head to give him comfort while he sat on the hill and tried to see if Nineveh was going to be zapped by God. But guess what? Jonah couldn't make that plant grow up. God prepared it to grow up. And you know what? If you're not careful, you think you're in control of your life when God says you've got to totally depend upon me. Totally. But young people, the last thing he tries to do in the lives of his disciples, just like Jonah, he says, Jonah, you've got to totally depend upon me. The last thing he does, and I want you to turn back to our text in Matthew in Mark chapter number four. Mark chapter number four, very quickly, and I'm done. We've got to get to discussion time. And try to make that one short because, of course, we got service at 11 o'clock. The last thing, write this down, and then I'll let you go. He tests your obedience, he shows your weakness, and he, uh, declare, he wants you to declare your total dependency upon him. But the fourth thing that God does, the fourth thing that he's doing in a storm is trying to establish his authority in your life. What did the men say? Look at verse 41. What did the men say when it got, the storm was over and he had got up and said, Peace be still. In verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Do you know what he's doing? God is trying to, he's trying to establish his authority in their life. You know what they did not do, guys? You know what they didn't do, young ladies? When they got to the other side and that storm was calmed by Jesus, they didn't get up and say, man, Peter, that was a great message you preached before we went over across the other side. Boy, if you wouldn't have preached that message, we wouldn't have got through this storm. No, they wouldn't praise no man. When they got to the other side, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? You know what God's trying to do in your life? He's trying to establish his authority. Can I ask you a question, young people, before we dismiss for discussion? Who is the king in your storm? Is it you? Is it your great intellect? Is the king in your storm your physical strength? I can get through this. I'm a self-made man. There ain't nobody can tell me I can't do anything. You know the difference between cockiness and confidence? Cockiness says I can. But confidence says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Young people, if you're going to get through the storm, number one, you realize he's trying to test your obedience to what he called you to do. He's trying to show you your weakness. He's trying to make you totally depend upon him. And number three, uh, four, he's trying to establish his authority in your life. He's trying to establish his authority in your life. You know what, young people? If you'll read the Psalms, nine out of ten times in the Psalms, and I'm done, nine out of ten times in the Psalms, they always start with praise, but you know what they end with? Peace. The psalmist starts with, I will give thee praise, O Lord. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. And then there's many, many psalms, Matt, where at the end of the psalm, he starts with praise, but it ends with this. He shall establish you in his peace. You know what Jesus wants to do today? You know what he wants to do in your life, young man? You know what he wants to do in your life, young woman? He wants to say to your storm, peace be still. Can you imagine in that storm that they were going through? You know how black it gets when a storm comes? You can't see anything, but there'd be a flash of lightning. Can you imagine when that flash of lightning came on the scene? They saw Jesus at the bow of that ship saying, Peace, be still. And it became like glass. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, as we've looked at some practical lessons from boat rocking today, I pray that you'd help in the discussion time for it to be concise. 
Lord, that you'd help them to realize that you're trying to test their obedience. You're trying to show them their weakness. Lord, you're trying to make us declare our total dependence upon you. But number four, ultimately, you're trying to establish your authority in our life. And we need to realize who's the king of our storm, and that is Jesus Christ. I'll love and praise you for what you do in our midst in the next hour to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.